Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Olivia Rodrigo, tour controversy. Travis Scott speaks out. And Coachella, copycat sued. You're listening to The Biz Tape. Welcome to The Biz Tape, your all things music business and media podcast. I'm your host, Colin McKay, with... Joseph Wazaleski, who gets no adjective now. No. <laughs> nothing. I'm just There's nothing the to other describe. host. You know, like when SpongeBob gets like smoothed out and he's like has rounded corners and stuff. <laughs> yeah. and he's like, hi, how you doing? That's what <laughs> I imagined if I said you had no adjective. You, you say that the one day I actually am like wearing like a sweater. I know you now. look good today um, and everything. If you want to see how good looking Joe is, obviously hit him up at his own Instagram, but you can also find it at the biz tape on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram and email us the biz tape podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. We'll email you a photo of me. Oh my God. Yeah. Email, email us, us and I will email you a specific photo. A signed of Joe. photo of me. Yeah. Just but like, it's not going to be like, I'm not going to like print that out for you and then get Joe to sign it and then scan it back. No, just, I will. I'll, I'll you're going to do it. Okay. Well, yeah. you said that person of yourself. I was going to let you out and be like, <laughs> you have to do a paint. No, no, photo. I want to, I want to, it's, you know, a gift to our lovely listeners. Yeah, that's it. Um, also lovely listeners. If you're listening to this, when it comes out, uh, happy holidays, I guess is kind of the mood we're going into. Um, mm-hmm. we're going to be doing some pre-recorded fun stuff for the next, uh, couple episodes. So this is a uh, us from the future compared to the <laughs> past. Um, no, but, I think it's us from the past. Oh man, in the future. This is confusing, <laughs> Marty. Anyway, uh, let's talk about what's going on. First off, December is supposed to be slow, and it's not. 
it has so much random news coming out. Yeah. And I don't know what to do with myself because I'm like, oh, okay, it'll, it'll slow down. And then it doesn't. Usually Christmas for most people is, other than New Year's, just a pre- pretty dead holiday in terms of, you know. Entertainment. And yeah. Music I mean, industry. you have your Christmas stuff, but like nobody's seeing a Christmas show usually like the week of Christmas. It's like right before. Yeah. So it, it's weird to see it. Speaking of shows, let's talk about Olivia Rodrigo. Uh, she basically has got a lot of people upset um, for uh, thankfully not nothing really bad, mm-hmm. but still a lot of people have said she explains her decision not to headline arenas on the sour tour. Mm. Um, so she was talking to a New York times article, which all the articles below, uh, in, in an interview with the New York times, but also complex gives their thoughts. But she basically kind of said in there that she made the decision personally, not to headline arenas on her first tour. You may remember when I talked about it a while ago, but you might have also seen it, is that Rodrigo allegedly couldn't even tour until this tour coming up mm-hmm. because she was just so busy with television contracts and there was nothing she could do for everyone's favorite show, High School, The Musical, The Musical, The Series, whatever. The That's, best name right. for a show ever. Best name, uh, probably there's probably like some fan acronym that's like eight letters, (laughs) but um, yeah, she just couldn't do it because her you know recording schedule for TV was too busy, and she really obviously sour earlier this year, and now she can finally go on tour to support it. The reason I'm only mentioning the television contract stuff is because not only did she have one of the biggest albums of the year, especially for a debut. There's just so much hype on it because she hasn't been able to play at all. Mm -hmm. So it's like even worse going on to have like demand going into this. And then with her not wanting to do arenas at all, people are kind of upset. I mean, first off, I will, in her defense, she's working real hard. She has 47 dates in the US and UK, which will last from... April 2022 to June 2023. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, this this I mean, she even says in the article about like how she's working literally has no days off or whatever, which I believe and it's going to get worse when they're on tour. Um and especially if she's trying to make an album during that time period. Mm-hmm. Uh Rodrigo also to clarify the statement about why she didn't want to go into arenas, she told the New York Times, "Quote, I don't think I should skip any steps." which is going to mean super low capacity compared to the amount of demand Rodrigo has. Mm -hmm. And it's caused some crazy stuff to happen with tickets, which I'll get to in a moment to clarify though. I have seen people reporting about this saying like, Oh, the arenas, uh, they're not doing, you know, she's going to play these small venues. They're not so small. Like, uh, yeah, they're not like your dad's, like or your your right. cousin's she's not playing shack. Sub a thousand <laughs> venues. I mean, she's she has on the list uh, Radio City Music Hall in the Greek in L.A. So mm-hmm. nothing to scoff at in terms of size. But from what I was able to peruse and looking at capacity limits, most of these hover around four thousand, all the way to like six thousand, maybe even a seven thousand in their cap. Yeah, but. Funny enough, I wanted to bring this up because I thought you would think it's hilarious. She's playing Nashville at the Grand Old Opry? Like the Grand Old Opry or the Ryman? No, the Grand Old Opry. That's where she's playing. She's playing at her mall, essentially. (laughs) Country music's one of greatest places, the mall. You could come shop at Macy's and then go see Olivia Rodriguez. Yeah, I thought that's really funny because obviously the Grand Old Opry, if you don't know, in country music has such a reputation of being like, this is the country proving ground. All these country artists have been, you know, wanting to 
build themselves up to play the Grand Old Opry and Olivia Rodrigo is playing it, which I think is really weird and off kilter. It's kind of strange. I think it also necessitates... Do you think they forgot that like the Grand Ole Opry was moved from the Ryman? <laughs> like it was a budget. <laughs> that they were like, yeah, they were like, maybe this is the cool No, 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 venue. the downtown one. I'm telling you, Phil, it hasn't been there in like 30 years. <laughs> yeah, man. It's in no, this no, great no. place called It's like a church a thing. Yeah, no. Um, but yeah, she's playing there and I thought it was funny in the interview, which I guess worked. She said, I was a big country girl when I was younger. And quote, one of her key Goodwill finds, a Tanya Tucker greatest hits LP featuring Delta Dawn, which... I thought I don't was, know why that's hilarious. It is really specific the way they put it. Uh, it's like feels like a marketing agent put it in there. Uh, but yeah, Tanya was also 13 when she made that record, which maybe makes sense why she likes it so much that she's a very young star. And Tanya was a very young star. She says she was a fan of, of Tanya, though. Like Tanya is going to come after her now for some songwriting credits. Oh my god! Like everyone <laughs> and their mother, like Taylor Swift and you know uh, Paramore and all of that. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, with going back to the main story, I just that was a fun side note. Uh, the venues again, aren't small, but they're very, you know, noticeably smaller than the 10,000 plus arena circuit, which that's smaller side of arenas. Um, I mean, you're looking around 10,000, 8,000, probably the lowest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's made these tickets go insanely high. Uh, secondhand tickets going as high as $9,000 for 9, one, 9,000, nine K for her insane. ticket for one ticket for her San Francisco show. And then the Opry show that I checked today has like sections because the Opry's, you know, regular kind of section seating, but each section left is $950 a ticket. Wow. So, you know, you know what's funny is like I had a friend who was entered into a raffle to like buy tickets direct, like like pre sale tickets. Or yeah, whatever. because the demand's so high, they have to. Yeah, they have to do a raffle out or whatever. And she got the raffle, but guess what? She forgot to wake up and buy the tickets. <laughs> well, she could have got a sweet deal because I saw the Opry one was like $60 was the bottom. That's insane. So, yeah, that's what I'm talking about is that they can charge this much because the demand's so high. And since, you know, they don't have enough seats, they can mm-hmm. just charge that much. Yeah. Uh, Rodrigo assured her fans, though, on her Instagram that, quote, there will be more tours in the future and I can't wait to see you then. And even uh, Baby Queen, which is one of her openers in the UK, I believe, defended Rodrigo saying on Twitter, quote, this is her first ever headline tour. From my point of view, I would never, ever play stadiums for my first ever tour. Not that I would be able to, lol, (laughs) but it's something you have to work up to. Yeah. But I asked our listeners, basically, this exact question. Tried to put yourself in Rodrigo's shoes here. Um, I do a Monday Instagram poll, and I also have our week-long Twitter poll. So after this, you can go over our Twitter and vote yourself what you think. And this is what I asked them. I said, imagine you are a new artist who has a lot of new hype and fans. For your first tour, would you play arenas, knowing you would sell well, or smaller venues? Which Twitter has said so far a resounding no, (laughs) which I think is (laughs) right. No one has said yes on Twitter. Um, But our uh, Instagram poll is... Uh, 26% for arenas and 74% for small venues. Mm. So we got, you know, a, a vocal minority here that's uh, really thinks she should be playing arenas. Yeah. But I would charge to some of you, you know, Olivia Rodrigo is such a big artist that maybe some of you even listening try to get these tickets and maybe you felt, you know, mad. Oh, why is this $950? Well, if you answered my poll for small venues, I would examine yourself, basically, is what I'm charging you to do. Mm-hmm. Because I, this is a really 
really weird situation uh, to have this much explosive um, beginnings, especially with COVID and stuff like that. So, Joe, what what are your thoughts about this whole scenario? Um, well, I think putting putting ourselves in Olivia's shoes, right? I mean, she's had insane stardom. That's just kind of I wouldn't say overnight success, but very close to that. I feel like right with the uh, with the, the amount of level of stardom that she's had. Um, in such a short amount of time. And I think people don't really understand that. Like when you're playing big, huge arena uh, shows, that's a completely different experience than playing like a club venue or playing a amphitheater or playing whatever. Right? I think a lot of people think like once you get past a certain threshold of people, then it just doesn't matter, which I would agree with if you're in like, the multi ten thousands, like you're at the arena and maybe yeah. you go to a stadium, but even then it's still overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And then, I mean, this is her first tour. Can you imagine how nerve wracking it would be like every night to be in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of people? Yeah. And this needs to be good. Like, yeah. It has to be a good show. And what if it isn't a good show, you know, and it's like things go wrong and she has all that pressure on her where this is kind of more, I wouldn't say a test run, but Definitely practice for her to start touring and to start thinking more as an artist and a performer rather than this is a famous person. Where are my tickets? Right. Exactly. I I agree with you on that. Um, Yeah. I mean, I understand. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I will point out I did vote for arenas. Yeah. Personally, personally. because I, I think that, you know, I was thinking more of like the business side. If you know they're going to sell well. Arenas are the way to go on that end. See, I wanted to talk about, about this because I, I feel like obviously the elephant in the room is overwhelming Rodrigo, especially for a first tour. But I do think there are some business things we can look at from pros and cons that aren't just overwhelming your artist. Mm-hmm. And I think they're pretty notable to go in between. So like, again, putting yourself in your shoes, let's just say you couldn't handle going to an arena like we just know for a fact. Yeah. Obviously, with a smaller venue, you're going to have lower production cost in terms of the amount of equipment you're going to need, especially like on audio and lighting. Uh, You're also going to just need, in my opinion, a less robust show. Like when you get to an arena, you're really like going from a concert to a show. Yeah, you got to have like crazy LED lights, crazy visuals, like dancers or, or crazy like musicians that come out or think like Beyonce shows, right? Where they're they They have risers of choirs. Coming exactly. Out. I mean, she's so extreme. They have stadiums, but like what I'm trying to say with it also, which you're completely, you know, adding on to. And I agree with is that it, the difference between a concert and a show is a very big deal. Mm-hmm. I would say to you, like, think about your, you know, what's around you, maybe like your amphitheater, maybe where you locally go. That's like not an arena. You know, usually it's, designed to be where music is played as opposed to an arena that's usually like sports related and has other purposes. So if you think of that place, think about how many of those shows are just people on stage playing. Yeah. And that's what it is. Next song playing all that kind of stuff. And, but when you get to an arena, you get to like what I, why I keep saying show versus concert where it's like, there's almost like theatrics is what I'll call it added Mm. on. Yeah, um, like when Katy Perry was on the planet and couldn't get down from the planet. Right, exactly. <laughs> or, uh, you know, Ariana Grande had that giant ball that was in the center of the entire thing they would illuminate. Or yeah. another one is Drake used to have like these 
holographic Lamborghini things that would go around or Kanye West was, you know, above the entire place on that giant triangle thing. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I mean by theatrics. And that honestly, that's just expensive. Yeah. Um, And I think it's more of a, people expect that when you go to an arena versus a stadium or I'm sorry, a small venue where you're expected to kind of be like, this is the end of almost the intimacy. Like this is the, final end like you could just go to a show there and they could just be playing their instruments and Mm -hmm. it would be fine which is just innately cheaper yeah um on your let's go to another point is like with arenas obviously you're serving more people at the end of the day so if you have such massive hype i mean you could get situations where you are you know and this all goes into almost psychology where if somebody sees you in person you're innately going to make a bigger connection to them than virtually. Mm-hmm. If they go and see you, it's going to be a moment, right? For them in their lives, they you know paid money, they got ready, they went to this thing. Yeah, that gives more opportunities to create more super fans, which is what a lot of these business teams are looking for. I mean, that's honestly the lifeblood of a lot of these musicians are these super fans and. You know, some of them could be super fans. Like, I bought 50 copies of a record. I have it on vinyl, all that kind of stuff. But to be honest, compared to a regular you know, listener, a super fan could just be someone who buys a sweatshirt because mm-hmm. you're going to make infinitely more money on the sweatshirt than you were a casual listener just streaming. Yeah. So that's kind of what you're, you know, doing. Again, with merch, obviously, like more people there, more selling opportunity for merch, and that's more cost effective because merch is extremely cheap mm-hmm. in terms of production. So, the opposite end of that is if you're on a small venue, you're serving less people, you're having less connection there, but you might have to, you know, you might create a once in a lifetime moment for someone because it's more intimate. You might have a situation where it's like, I remember I sat in the third row of Olivia Rodrigo at the Grand Old Opry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. At the Grand she Old Opry. She had Opry. a fiddle. <laughs> Get we down the fiddle, get down the bow. Come on, boys. <laughs> no, uh, anyway, so like what I'm saying is like it's a more intimate connection. And so you you could as an artist team go, we value this more because we might even create colossal super fans. Kind of my example of you might buy 50 albums physically as opposed to the one sweatshirt situation. Mm-hmm. But you're serving less people at the end of the day. So you could have a situation where you know, if if you don't connect super hard, then you don't connect super hard. But at the same time, she's also creating that this material has more value over time. Yeah, because it's kind of like the supreme method, where it's like you have a lot of demand but very little product. So right. You create that hype, and then you create more demand. This album's so big, she could probably tour the same album again. Probably like four years in a row. Right, like literally. And so that gives her more time and her more team time to maybe create new music up to the same standard. New experiences. Yeah, and maybe up the... And like, you know, once you kind of get the dog and pony show going, it's like, if you know how to do the songs and everything like that, if we did another tour of this, okay, we already have half the battle done. Let's just add some more theatric stuff maybe and maybe Mm -hmm. make an arena tour. And that creates, you know, more situations that are for profitability where you could sell merch where you can get that super fan interaction. And again, it's balancing out. She's selling $950 tickets. If she was in arena, she'd be selling $40 tickets. Yeah. So, I mean, like in that case, you know, that once those couple sections I saw on the grand old Opry site, it's like, man, she's selling like thousand or she's selling like 
tens, twenties of tickets for one person. So it's not like it's not balancing out if you're worried about straight up money there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if she was way popular and she could charge you $950 for an arena, <laughs> that would be insane. That's But that's a different level of popularity. So yeah, I, th- I think, uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. Again, if you're interested in our polls, I do it every Monday on Instagram. Sorry, I wish I could continue it, but Instagram just shuts them off after 24 hours that I can't <laughs> go through. But if you're interested in voting on it, Twitter is where it's at, uh, at the biz tape. So hit that up. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Wark, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Joe, 
I'm sure. Let's go to something really light now. Super, <laughs> super light. Yeah. Um, Travis Scott's interview, uh, as well as him getting dropped from Coachella 2022. So can I can I put an asterisk? I have not watched the interview yet. Yeah. I would. I'm going to. I just haven't found it in my time to it's, do it. You know, it's all good because I have. Okay. And cool. so we get to uh, dive in, Colin. And if you have any questions, just let me know. But this past week, Travis Scott sat down in a pre-recorded interview with Charlemagne the God that was posted to Charlemagne's YouTube account, and it he talked about the recent Astro World tragedy that claimed about ten people's lives and injured hundreds of others. And during the interview, Charlemagne questioned Travis about the implications of the tragedy, as uh, on his conscience as well as like his business, basically. Um, so if you would like to check out the full interview, you can hit the link in our description. But the main takeaway is that if Travis is that Travis claims he was upset over the tragedy and he wants to find out what happened so that it doesn't happen again. Basically, he wants to, quote, find the blame, find like what what why this happened. Basically, is like what he kept saying. Um, and he also described the, his view from the stage as well as what he was hearing in his in-ear monitors during the emergency, as well as not learning that people were injured until before a press conference that was after the performance. So did, did he claim what he heard in his in-ear monitors and think that's Yeah, he did. He basically was like, it was, it was pretty much radio silent until uh, Drake came on and they said, after the guest slot, uh, we're going to end the show is what he heard. And he said, okay. And then he ended the show at okay. that point. Um, and then it wasn't, he basically said it wasn't until he went back stage uh, that he found out that people were hurt. And then I don't, I don't think it was until pre um, like right before the press conference that, that he, knew he the decided severity? that, yeah, that he, he found out that people died. Oh man. So um, it was very last minute according to him. But according to Variety, Scott has also been dropped from Coachella's 2022 lineup due to the tragedy, as well as a change.org petition that garnered over 60,000 signatures. According to sources, quote, the festival informed Scott's longtime agent, Cara Lewis of, of the Cara Lewis Group, of its intent to pull Scott from the bill, which he was to headline, and that it would pay a kill fee for the cancellation, typically 25%. An insider adds that Lewis had been steadfast in trying to keep the slot, which would have marked Scott's return to the stage after Astroworld. Oh, I would have tried to keep that slot no matter what. Oh, yeah. Um, so with this withdrawal, Coachella has announced two new headliners, but has yet to release the full lineup. And since the interview, people have stay, stated very mixed opinions, but it seems as though Scott will have trouble returning to the line, live scene as of now. So, Colin, what do you have any more questions about the interview portion or just so the stuff? what in your experience was his demeanor? So Scott was very much um, I would say he like it, it's kind of dumb to say, but I mean, he looked sad. Right. I mean, obviously, did like, it feel a, I guess my question is, did he feel interview. raw or did he feel like he had it, maybe like his. You know, it answers felt kind prepared. of pre-prepared okay. uh, a lot of the time. I mean, I think he knew what he needed to do. I'm sure that he was prepped before the interview. I'm sure that him and Charlemagne 
had some sort of understanding. Like, we're going to ask you these questions, be yeah, prepared. But um, it didn't feel like it was like, I'm feeding your hand. Yeah, a lot of people are, are kind of frustrated because they feel like Charlemagne didn't really press as hard into some of the questions as he maybe should have. Right. Um, there was a couple of instances as well where Charlemagne brought up the, the fact that people think he, his music is like demonic and that was a bit there's no reason uh, not yeah really that feels, i have to see the interview still but that just feels like a red herring to throw people it kind of it away. was kind of more of i feel like to generate interest rather than to figure out what actually happened during yeah the event. I, i'll tell you this right now um we didn't cover that on the show but just so y'all know there are people who have crazy conspiracy i'm calling them crazy right now. Sorry. Uh, I'm calling them crazy because it's literally saying that this was like a demonic ritual, the tragedy that happened in Astroworld yeah, and, and stuff. Yeah, and it's just ridiculous to think about that or even to like... I, I don't even know how people could come to that conclusion. Right. So it know? seems like why would you include that unless you're trying to like a little bit derail or give legitimacy to these people or something? Because yeah. I feel like it would... It's uh, Journalistically, it would feel like, oh, we're not going to give legitimacy to this at all. Yeah. He also talked about um, the Charlemagne pushed him about the paying for people's funeral costs and as well as people refusing um, Scott to do it and uh, as well as like the legal implications of it. And of course, Scott couldn't say really anything about the legal stuff because well, I'm course. sure his lawyers told him not to. But um, he basically said that if anybody wanted to come to him in the future, uh, he wouldn't hesitate with helping them as well as he understands why people are refusing his help. Right. So I feel like uh, I have to watch the interview, but it seems like, in my opinion so far, it probably went as well as it could have gone, if that makes sense. I think it did, but it does seem like a type of interview that was very much uh, put together in order to help his his look. Um, as we've seen, it's so, been diminishing yeah, as brands was, have been pulling out. And Do you think it was smart of him to do this? I think that at a certain, in a certain instance, uh, he, he, actually, he actually stated in the interview that he wanted to get the word out and he wanted to reach people. But I also think Travis could have uh, done the same on his own social media platforms uh, or even in a more live, organic, raw setting. Rather than like a pre-recorded interview so, setting, but yeah. I do think that if I if I had an artist in this position, I do think that this is like one of the first steps you would take in order to mitigate the uh, fall. Right. I think he. I, I think this comes personally for me in the time of the interview. There's been enough time away from it that I feel like the public accepts that it's not a gut reaction. Mm -hmm. So far from what you're saying, it doesn't seem like it felt like the interview was you know scripted. Or, you know, seems inauthentic. So, I mean, in this way, I, again, I still have to see the interview, but I feel like that that's the best that this interview probably could have gone is to have mixed opinions. Yeah. No one's going to be like, wow, we fit, he's great now. Like, and yeah. so the idea of him, you know, having a place like PR wise, I'm not trying to defend him, is uh, the idea of him making a statement in a place that seems like a place that's trying to find answers on Charlemagne's YouTube and it seems fair enough, like we're asking actual questions, is probably the best you could do, which is where I would disagree with you on that, is I feel like because it has all the cameras and everything like that, it kind of like shows legitimacy and maybe shows like you've thought about this. 
and you're I prepared think, to I make think, a statement. Yes, yes, it's definitely prepared. It's shot very professionally. You know, um, I do think that there is something to that. Um, but I, I'm thinking more of a, a more live setting um, rather than uh, kind of this is this is a um, we kind of know what's coming in some of these questions. Yeah, you know I, I, I mean? would just I would just worry about like if I, I think, was I think it would be really rough if I if I had a client I probably would refuse to do that as well. Right, exactly. But I do think that's something the public is is kind of wanting. Um, now, like I said. I would not probably put my client in that position at all. Right. If you uh, think of the legitimacy of what's going on here and stuff, it seems that, in my opinion, if you put Travis in a situation, again, not defending him, but like, I, if I, he was my client, I would not put him in that case because you're just going to get everybody and anybody coming at you. Mm-hmm. You're also going to have claims of filtering the questions mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, that's why I kind of like this sit down interview more because it's almost filtered through Charlemagne in terms of like, well, if he doesn't ask a question, then it's kind of in the public's eyes, also Charlemagne's fault. So I think it's like sharing the blame. Yeah. Which I, I will actually point out. Charlemagne did ask all the questions, like the ones we we wanted to know, the ones that the public have been asking, like for the most part, all of those questions were asked. Um, now whether or not, uh, Travis's answers, like his rebuttal was, um, acceptable, acceptable or, or not. It's kind of on Travis at that point. And I think Charlemagne knew that and maybe that's why he didn't push as hard. Um, but it, there, there was a couple instances that like, I feel like Travis's responses kind of fell a little short of what of, they needed of to what be. we needed. But I also understand that, you know, in the legal case of it, there's probably not a lot that he can currently say. Right. Um, now, I I will say he did talk about kind of his involvement with the organization of the festival, which I think a lot of people are wondering because it is his face. It is his festival. Oh, I feel like on. this would be way less if he was just, uh, you know, performing. Performer. Yeah, it would be it would be way less. Uh, yeah, like no question it would be on the promoters. Uh, and on that point, like where people would shift their blame. Yeah. Um, but, and that's something that he actually pointed out of like, you know, I, I do have creative say into certain things and, uh, you know, I am kind of producing, uh, a lot of this festival, but at the end of the day, I have these teams that are supposed to be specialists that are the ones who are doing the logistics of it, who are putting it on suppose, supposedly safely. Um, and that's kind of where he's shifting the blame to is so, like, we should be looking maybe more at like something with other teams. I, I think per, what we can move on to bigger picture too is I think this is a very, this is the nail in the coffin of this is severe to your career. There was obviously these people brutally who were in this tragedy who passed away and were very much injured. But there was a, there was a chance that the public in the public's eyes could have eventually, you know, okay, this happened to Travis. This happened to these people, but we're not going to hold it to Travis for the rest of his life. But I really do think that Coachella doing this is a sign of this is, 
not going away at all. Yeah. This is going to, it was going to follow your career regardless, mm-hmm. but this might end your career. Like in that possibly. Kind of- yeah. I, I also do think there is something, I mean, we've seen artists, uh, controversies before some, some controversies very much, uh, aggressive and, uh, they, you know, eventually those artists still have careers. Now I will say, obviously every case is a little different, but when I say end your career, it, it means in terms of, it can be like, you're not going to play shows anymore, but it could also be like, you're going to play all these holes in the wall. Like you're not really going to be, you know, back up on top. Yeah. You're not even going to come close to that anymore or something. I think the thing about this tragedy as well with Travis is, is, is how much he is in the public view as well. And, and like how many of these directly brands since his, fe- his name and likeness is used all I over mean, the festival. Yeah. I mean, remember the McDonald's brand, you know, like that whole thing. We like were on I, this podcast talking about how Travis was so good before. Yeah. With, you know, and brand stuff this like this changes when like information comes out and stuff. And, and, uh, this tragedy has, th- there is blame somewhere for sure. And to a certain extent, I do agree with Travis when he's saying like, we need to find out what happened. Yes, but I think we also know what happened to an extent, you know? I think we know that something with the organization of the festival led to these people dying. Right, multiple things went wrong for this to happen, and it seems... Multiple, uh, multiple things. From all these, you know, alleged sources showing what, you know, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. So it seems to me that like you're saying, it's like how it's more of a question of how can we prevent this in the future Mm -hmm. as opposed to how did this happen? Uh, but I also don't want, I I could understand if you were advising Travis be like, do not say that at all Yeah, because that could be construed because this interview is going to be thrown in his face in court. It is. Oh, a hundred percent. And they even said that like Charlemagne was like, you know, they're going to pick this interview apart. So, right. So he's looking at everything so he cannot, from a client perspective of like, if you were representing him and try even to come close to admitting guilt yeah, because they will come after him so severely. So yeah, I, I think Travis, this is a real nail in the coffin for almost like going down the path of this could end you. Like this really could end you. This isn't, you know, Oh, you had a bad year. You had a bad two. Like this could be, this is how high of an artist you, you were and you'll never reach that height again. Mm-hmm. But We'll have to see again. This is an ongoing investigation, so we still need to see see what all happens. the parts of it that yeah. are negligence, and then also what the public thinks of that information, because that's a very different story. Welcome to Five Hundred Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos, and I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Speaking of Coachella, um, let's get into this. This is one of the weirdest lawsuits I've ever seen in my life. And I think you're going to be like, this is wild most of the time. Um, And it's a very important lesson about trademark, which Mm -hmm. I think is... Very important. At the offset, I just want to put that the main purpose of trademark is to avoid consumer confusion. (laughs) And you'll see why this is going down and why it's so confusing. So Golden Voice is suing Live Nation over copycat Coachella. Hmm. So this Golden Voice is the people who bring you Coachella and are the creators of it and the primary promoter. They are owned by AEG. AEG is the number two to uh, Live Nation in terms of the promoterscape. And they are accusing its rival of advertising and selling tickets to a new Southern California festival that says it infringes the Coachella trademark. Um, This is not a straightforward case. I like literally you're going to see it has a very interesting caveat that you're going to love, Joe. So first, Golden Voice is going after the music event. The music event is called Coachella Day 122. What the How fuck? could that be confusing at all to yeah, anyone? Yeah, like, absolutely. This is, like, not the same at all. Right. You know? They, 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 have, ex- they have Day 1 in their name. Oh, they bring that up. Uh, but not the promoter. <laughs> it's actually going after Live Nation. Now, the promoter of Coachella Day 122 is 29 Palms Band of Mission... Uh, 
Indians, which is a Native American tribe which is shielded from legal action due to sovereign immunity. Whoa. So Golden Voice... Whoa, this got crazy. So the Golden Voice instead is going after Bigger Fish, which is Live Nation since da-da-da-da. It provides tickets through their own ticketing service, Ticketmaster. Oh, my God. And accusing Live Nation of, quote, uh, contributory infringement for advertising and selling tickets on the Ticketmaster website, app, and pretty much everywhere. And the direct defiance of two separate cease and desist letters. Wow. Uh, They also accuse further violating the trademark by selling and, like, advertising the tickets, like I said. Uh, But they're also going after the host of the website, uh, which is Bluehost, and they host the website CoachellaCrossroads.com. So Golden Voice is asking for the use of their mark Coachella to stop being used for pretty much everything under the sun by these companies, as well as banning the use of a domain name or social media account that is, quote, identical or confusingly similar. Okay, first off, okay, no, I, we'll I, get went to that. The, yeah, it's, I went to the website. Let me tell you, it's wild. Right. <laughs> While on the money side... They are asking damages for the infringement and unfair competition, claiming that the use of the name Coachella is using the name's goodwill for a, quote, direct competitive live music event. They also want all the profits from the resulting infringement and a cost of corrective advertising to unlink any associations between the events, as well as attorney fees and prejudgment interest, which I didn't know about until I Googled it, which basically means they can sue for, quote, the interest uh, accruing on the amount of a legal award. So they can sue you for the money they would have made if they invested the money that they win. Yeah. So Golden Voice claims that the look of the festival's advertising was copied and that, quote, day one was strikingly similar to how the festival labels its event days. Uh, I'm not going to go into further detail uh, uh, pretty much, but I'll give you a pretty quick summary of what's going on in terms of like the storyline. So 29 Palms had tried to actually get a trademark from the trademark office for Coachella Crossroads, but it was stopped by the trademark office to avoid confusion with Coachella. Yeah. How could it be confusing at all? But after amending, and you might not know this is when you, file a trademark, you have to say like what the trademark will be in use for. Mm -hmm. So they amended what the uh, Coachella Crossroads will be used for and saying it will be providing sports facilities for sporting events. And the trademark application continued and then Golden Voice got involved and was like, hey, let's have a meeting. We need to talk about this. And they chose at the time not to oppose the trademark. But Golden Voice said it was misled by the promoter, stating that the only reason they allowed it was that the promoter said the trademark would be used for local community events like youth soccer (laughs) and any music would be incidental. No, no, it did not. To which Coachella Crossroads was first used in 2019 and promoted concerts at venues for artists like Toby Keith and Miranda Lambert, which I didn't know that Toby Keith had a great soccer youth league. Yeah. uh, But he's (laughs) clearly has one, him and Miranda. versus the Lamberts. Right, exactly. Uh, Both teams uh, under eight years old. Anyway. Imagine Toby Keith just playing soccer. Oh yeah, he'd be he'd be cool, right? <laughs> no, I feel like uh, he'd get it. He'd, he'd are get you looking up a picture of this? Oh, yeah. I thought you were. Okay, we'll I feel get like, that. Hold on, let's look at Keith here. Yeah. yeah, he looks like he could coach a really good he youth soccer team. Has played soccer at some point. Okay, but the point that I'm trying oh, to say, look at this like old school, yeah, Keith? 1989, Tony Keith. So 
Anyway, uh, the event in question, Coachella Day 1 2022, God, I can't, or 22, sorry, it's so, <laughs> so close. It was going to have acts, as Joe beautifully saw on the website, for E40, Getter, and Shaq, who was going to perform as DJ Diesel. Hell yeah, dude. DJ Diesel. Let's right. Go. Joe, what, did you th- what do you think of this? I have a lot of thoughts. Um, yeah, they're going to lose. <laughs> uh, but you know what? It was a great run, guys. So um, here's you, the best part. We almost part. had DJ Diesel. It's like this is a great example of a lot of things. It's a great example of trademark. Uh, it's a great example of giant companies partnering with other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a great example of why a live nation has a legal team. Yeah. Because again, like I talked about way back in the Astro World episode, these companies are big companies, but uh, compared to a lot of other organizations, they're very splintered. Um, so a lot of these agents are working on their own. Like yeah. they're working through live. Na- I mean, that's why we talk about on the show all the time. They're like golden voice promoter, AEG promote. Like they're just owned by them a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So, and they, they like a lot of the time, like live nation will have like a very right, hands off approach. Yeah. They're not looking through everything. So, but this is why they have this giant legal team on mm-hmm. these giant companies is because they can't account for everything. And so somebody made a deal for the Ticketmaster side to work with, Coachella Crossroads and clearly made the wrong move in associating Live Nation with this. And so far, I don't even know. I'm not a good enough of a law sleuth, even though I would barely call myself to even get into the sovereign immunity part of this. <laughs> I don't even know how that is going to work. Yeah, I don't know what's going to um, happen there. But they're going because of their association with this, as we've seen in a lot of lawsuits I've talked about, they're innately going to have an extremely rough time because in my personal opinion, this trademark case is pretty cut and dry mm-hmm. because uh, even reading it, it's confusing. If I told you, hey, we're going to Coachella day one, 2020 or 22, you'd be like, yeah, you're going to Coachella. And I'd be like, no, 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 no. It's the soccer game. No, like <laughs> it's the children's, it's the soccer, children's game. soccer game. And any music there is Can incidental. Can you imagine the, ju- the jerseys though? That would be sick. They would be Coachella, sick. Coachella, Coachella. Just well, in the if back. we made those jerseys, would Coachella Day One Twenty Two sue us, or would Coachella sue us? They probably both, because that one of them really needs the money, and the other has already made a precipice about, uh, you know, sorry. going after trademark sorry, guys, stuff. I tried. I really so did. yeah, okay. So let's, this is a great example of trademark law. I'll go into that now. Is uh, it's so confusing. Again, like I told you in the beginning, it's to avoid consumer confusion, which is why you have to define where you're going to use your trademark in the first place, because you could have a trademark in way different sectors of industry and be fine. Mm -hmm. Things are, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's like a thousand last name, you know, insert generic last name companies that work for way different industries. Like if you're doing HVAC, like if you're Johnson HVAC and then there's, you know, Johnson soft drinks, then it's like, yeah, you're fine. No, no one's going to be confused about that. Unless the HVAC can make a soft drink. Right, exactly. But since that's the only reason that Golden Voice allegedly went along with this is because they thought, oh, we're not going to be a dick and go after the local community center and be like, sorry, kids. Coachella says no, you know, and just like I imagine, like <laughs> and some, they just just imagine the little child just crying. Yeah, and then like they're like on this? the field, right? And then like the little uh, executive comes up and like punts the ball out of the fucking field, <laughs> and it's like screw you, kid. Coachella's <laughs> ours. Anyway, 
But like what I'm trying to say is that, yeah, there's, that's the reason they went along with it is because it would look terrible if Coachella was like, we shut down a local community center, a la, you know, uh, electric boogaloo two style. But like, uh, <laughs> it, it is, we look terrible and they thought, Oh, this is not going to be a big thing. And they let but then it. Then they lied, but then they, they lied and, and they are having, you know, all these events Which, happen. And I don't they, even know how the trademark office at that point would, would, like what would they do the at trade, that point? Basically, it, from what they I understand, lied to the trademark office. Well, yes, and what I understand is that the trademark office. I, I'm pretty sure I haven't looked up on the USPTO to be sure because it's honestly kind of confusing. But I've done it before and I can look it up to see if it's still in process of like trying to be approved. I hadn't seen anything that they got the trademark, which is very different mm-hmm. than applying for a trademark. So. I think it's probably still in the rounds, but you know, if the trademark office, if somebody brings up to the trademark office that, Hey, they're not using this copyright in the correct thing, they're via, or sorry, this trademark in the right thing, they can go, yeah, okay. You're not using the mark. We're taking away your mark. Mm-hmm. So then they have literally no standing, at least like with, if they got the, you know, even applying for the trademark, they have like maybe some legitimacy to be like, see, we applied. And then like, you know, they like bring in a fake set, like Shaq's playing on stage and then like two kids play soccer on stage next to him to see, see, it's a local community soccer game with Shaq performing as a DJ and like try to lie in that way. But like, they're so up they're like a Creek here that they cannot even <laughs> come down. So uh, shit's Creek. Right. Probably? Exactly. Nice. So love that show. Um, yeah, this, this is a beautiful, very, in my opinion, cut and dry trademark case that, uh, really shows that you got to watch out who you're associating with and you know, these deals that are going on, you know, in different parts of your companies or in your personal company, you know? And so that's why you got to watch out for it is because again, like live nation may have not known that they didn't have a trademark for this or they didn't dig deep enough or they just didn't think, Hey, this wouldn't make sense that we're selling tickets to Coachella, our main competitor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So somebody just didn't make the, you know, made a bad call. And now they're in this, you know, multi-million dollar lawsuit. Um, Mm -hmm. Honestly, out of anyone, I probably feel worse for this Bluehost website service that just hosted a website. But, you know, they're going after everybody that's using this because at the end of the day, I believe they have a very strong argument to be like, this is confusing people and this is hurt our brand. And since it's so close, the name is just so close. And since it's also called Coachella Crossroads, everyone's going to think they're associated with it. And the damage of that is if some crazy shit happens at that show or it's really shitty or anything like that, people are going to go, yeah, fuck Coachella. I hate Coachella. Remember when we went to that thing and Shaq played and he sucked? Like, uh, Excuse me, DJ Diesel? DJ Diesel Colin? sucked whatever his name is. But the point that I'm trying to say is like that hurts their brand because people think, Oh, it's Coachella. Well, we're never going to go Coachella thing because we've had such a terrible time. And then imagine if something actually really bad happened, like you got, somebody got hurt there or something like that. Mm -hmm. Then they're like, wow, Coachella's, you know, so unsafe or something in a hypothetical scenario. Then they think their brands are associated. You can't tell the difference between going to see Shaq (laughs) DJ and actually being in Coachella. Can you imagine if you, you might, went there? You, might you were like, help. guys, I, you know, Coachella usually is like the pinnacle of music. What's hot? What's not? Anyways, here's DJ Diesel and E40. What? <laughs> like, 
Uh, that's dude. So they're top of the charts every day. Uh, what are you talking about? I mean, checks the, topping like a chart know, yeah, somewhere. The, probably the basketball charts, but definitely not. <laughs> I have not heard of DJ Diesel. Maybe that'll be next week's or the next time we're back. To, uh, you know, track. I listen all DJ Diesel. He's not it that literally, bad. If you he go could to, be that bad. I don't know. If you go to this website, it literally looks like the website you'd catch your like grandparents buying like jewelry from or something it's like html like gross like buy this now like, i will this, say this community coin be, is worth so much yeah money. i i hope maybe we'd have it if the Wayback machine works on it uh maybe we have to see it before because i could definitely see like them maybe trying to take it down or something because it looked weird like it, it's weird how the resolution of it is and everything so mm-hmm. i don't know if they're like in the middle of that so yeah that's fun um Catch me at your local soccer event. <laughs> Go yeah, out. going up against Miranda Lambert. Right. I'm I'm, I'm fucking she's a good goalie, man. You should watch out for those hands. <laughs> Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stones' hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Wark, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check the backseat. 
Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Well, Colin, uh, what have you been listening to this week? Oh man, uh, I'm you know I've been on the hip hype train, is what the kids call it for a while. Hip uh, hype is that a playlist? No, that would be so funny. Sorry, I sound so dated now. The point is, we're back to weird shit, Colin. <laughs> uh, when have we left? Yeah, well, we were on you know, hey, this big album came out. I listened to it. Here's my thoughts. But since it's Christmas and I'm not listening to a Christmas a new Christmas album, I'm sorry, I'm just not. Anyway. Uh, I've been listening to a bunch of weird stuff. First off, I uh, I was listening to Give It Up by George Benson and Al Jarrah, and it is so good. If you don't know who these people are, um, George Benson is like a virtuoso guitarist from the 70s, and I, I believe his name is Al Jarrah is how you pronounce it. I'm going to try my best here. Anyway, if I said it wrong, you can come after me. But uh, the point is, is that he does a lot of great songs in the eighties and they're very like smooth, smooth jazzy kind of stuff. But I really like it because they do each other songs on this, which is George Benson's biggest song is Breezin. And then Al's biggest song is Mornin'. And uh, they both like, so George Benson is mostly, you know, virtuoso guitar player and kind of stuff. So like, they sing Breezin, which is the George Benson song, which is traditionally an instrumental. And then they play Morning like an instrumental song, which oh, is traditionally cool. sung. Uh, my favorite thing is they have a really good version of Summer Breeze, which is the Seals and Crofts song, if you've ever heard of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just very vibey. Uh, it's just incredible playing at the end of the day. Um, I personally really like it. It also has a Paul McCartney feature at the end of it, which I think was oh, really wow. random and fun. Um, but yeah, it, they kind of just are doing like, you know, their career and standards and stuff. Cause they're just at that point in career, but I personally enjoyed it. I also listened to Tyler, the creator call me if you get lost. Um, which I don't know why ne- Well, you can listen to it next week when we talk about the Grammys, but I don't know why this rap category Tyler's going to win in my opinion, because mm-hmm. unless Kanye randomly goes in there, but, uh, that's, this album's great. I wish it was in the album of the year category. Yeah. Um, I was honestly I'll like, listen to it. I, I didn't get a chance to listen to it. Uh, dude, it, it out, flows but. so well, like in between each other. Like I literally would lose track that a different song started, which mm-hmm. is like crazy to me sometimes. If you can do that super well, I would be like three songs in, and I'd be like, Oh, I feel like we've been listening to like, one giant piece, but we haven't. So yeah. it's really good. He's got a crazy number of features on there too. And I've always liked Tyler, the creator. So yeah, I, I think you'll, I, I think a lot of people who are uh, real, you know, like technical rap kind of fans would really like it. Mm-hmm. It's not as, uh, I, it, it's not as like, uh, I don't want to say emotional cause it is, but, uh, like melodic as mm-hmm. some of the other stuff that Tyler's done. But, that's kind of my jam with Tyler is when he really just, you know, is going at it with rapping and stuff like that versus more of the melodic stuff, like the flower boy kind of stuff and the Igor stuff. I yeah. like this a, a little bit more, even though those are very good albums. So mm-hmm. what have you been listening to Joe? Um, well, I've actually kind of been going back, uh, to things I missed before as well. Uh, I listened to all of harmony house by day glow. Uh, it's his uh, newest record. It's, was actually very good. I think I needed, like, it's a good pep-up album. 
Um, although there, the lyricism in it is pretty, um, like telling of like, you know, getting into relationships, getting out of relationships, stuff like that. Um, it's very, very fun. Um, cause there's one song in particular where he, it's uh, crying on the dance floor. Um, is, is, I just love the lyrics of that, of like, you know, you see someone, you know, at a party that like you had a crush on, or maybe like you were dating for a while. And then like, now they're at this party and fuck the party's ruined at this point. You know what I mean? So it's, I don't know. It's just very uh, clever lyricism. Um, and I've also been listening to the second EP by girl house, uh, which was actually an unexpected blow up by girl house. Um, they, they have had uh, a crazy amount of growth, uh, very recently. And, um, if you guys haven't checked out their music, you definitely should, uh, love that. It's an all lowercase. If that's your jam, it's super dope. That's a genre. It's an all lowercase. Uh, and yeah, I love that. Uh, also we have a new SZA song, Colin. I have actually not listened to this song yet. It's called, I, I hate you. I do really Please like SZA, <laughs> so. We'll have to see. I, I, I'm very interested in it now. Cause I've, I mean, literally once I, this is going to sound like such a pleb for a lack of words is I remember hearing SZA from the Black Panther movie and I was like, man, I got to see more of what SZA is about. And I just like went on a train. So now that she's got a new song, I mean, we've talked about the Doja Cat song is so good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah very no, we've been, we've been wanting a SZA record for a hot second. Maybe she's done doing all the features. Yeah. <laughs> you know, never, I mean, I'd feature, I'd be featured on what's something she was featured on. <laughs> Uh, uh, ooh, cutting paper. Because she's SZA. Oh, God. <laughs> We're going to end it on that. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening to The Biz Tape. You can uh, feel free to support us by downloading this episode or other episodes. Uh, you want to check out some of our deep dives, feel free. We also have uh, two bonus episodes coming out in the next couple of weeks that you should definitely check out if you're interested in the Grammys. Also, Colin, what was that that outro? Um, it was... This is the press conference. Oh, yeah, this is like the post? Yeah, this is the post. Um, it was a clean, clear cut is what I would call it. Mm-hmm. Um, really... Um, what would you say if the public told you to stop? <laughs> nope. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. 
even working with you from Kerry Hilson, Adonis. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a mm -hmm. hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 